Hey, 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 welcome to a brand new episode of the Show Show Podcast. I am your host, uh, Calvin, and today we're talking about a show that's kind of, we're having a show today that's a little bit something that's out of my territory that I really don't really get into much, but you know here straight up, we all, we're all all about embracing each other's cultures. Uh, if you've paid this to our, our shows, we went to Africa, we went to Europe, and we talked about different cultures, but something that we, we really haven't touched on was something that's really dear to me because most of my friends are of the Latino Hispanic community. And I feel like I have to do more uh, for this community since I embrace them and they embrace me. And I really feel like there's not a lot of coverage of what we do. And there's a lot of misunderstandings that's with, with, with our community, with them. And with it being in America, it's always black and white and it's never in between. And, you know, we did a story about the Asian discrimination, but I, in my opinion, I feel like the Latino community is often looked over uh, on both parties. And I feel like I have to just understand what they go through that the media or people like myself don't understand, not because we refuse to, is that we don't never go in detail about it and ask the questions that they want us to understand. Uh, so with that being said, today I have a great guest. She's a friend of mine. Uh, we talked outside of the show. I know she does great work. Uh, very headstrong. Uh, without further ado, help me welcome Ms. Cynthia Santiago. Cynthia, how you doing, man? Hi. Nice to... Uh... Thank you for having me. Nice to be here. And I'm always willing to talk about the real deal on the immigration issues. It's my passion. Yeah, uh, my bad. Cynthia Santiago, attorney at law. So I got to make sure <laughs> I throw that on there. So uh, like I said, thank you so much. She is an immigration lawyer. Uh, that is one of the biggest issues within our country right now. So uh, we're going to have a whole series about the Latino community, but what better way to start off about just what they need the most is uh, having equal rights here in America and immigration being one of the, the forefronts of the subjects in America that some people do not like, but it's like, well, why don't you like it? Because you don't understand it. So we have Cynthia here to help us understand it. So before we get into all the logistics of it and everything like that, tell us about you and where you're from and how'd you get into law? Yeah, so I decided I would be an attorney at the age of nine. I was um, raised in California, in Los Angeles. I have working class parents. My parents immigrated to the United States and my dad is from Mexico, my mom's from Guatemala. And we lived in a community of color, a community where there was um, police harassment, there was um, you know, some, gang, some gang issues, and there was a lot of that kind of, um, brutality against our community. And so what happens in those communities, as we all know, in many communities of color, um, is that there's a lot of targeting. And so my brother was uh, profiled and targeted for a crime that he didn't commit. And he went through the legal system. Uh, as an 18 year old, he you know, was unjustly convicted, sent to prison, spent about three years in prison and it just really impacted my growth as a child, seeing your parents in court, not understanding what the process is, and then not having the funds to pay $20,000, $30,000 for a trial for a criminal defense attorney. I did see the public defenders 
um, take the case because you know you have the right to a public defender, but it doesn't mean that they necessarily cared or put any investigative work onto the case. So seeing that as a kid just you know pushed my my pursuit, my my fire to want to be an attorney that represents the community and does it because I understand the pain that it causes families. Right, and you've been there and you've seen it in person, so that's very commendable that you do that and part of me that's kind of one of the reasons why I don't want to get into politics but it's like man I see my people struggling like and I've been out to the forefront I know how it is and I definitely commend you for doing that and um, I want to talk about something that I saw uh, on your Facebook that you're very proud of is that just to see you getting sworn in um, that was a beautiful video uh, seeing you getting sworn in, and I, I don't. My sister, herself, my sister, myself, she uh, she is in pre law right now, and she's worked with students, uh, foreign exchange students, and she's seen the impact of them coming to America and this them wanting to be here compared to where they're from. Uh, and she's in pre law. She wants to do uh, immigration law, and just to see you take take it on because it's so personal uh, and it means so much to you. You want to give back. Um, with that being said, like this, the video that I saw you being sworn in and, uh, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. Um, but it, you, you mentioned that it was very personal when you got sworn in because of the guy that sworn you in. Uh, can you tell me about that video and what did you mean about that? Yeah. So, uh, I first, I wanted to be a criminal defense attorney. I just was like, I'm going to defend people. But when I was in law school, I was placed in, um, I was working with an attorney and uh, I was placed at the Mexican consulate and I was working at doing intakes with families. So families would come in and now their family member had been arrested and they did not have immigrate, they didn't have legal status. So there was this other layer of what happens when the person can potentially be deported for this crime that anybody else that has status you know, just gets maybe a day or two in jail, and this person maybe has a DUI or a no license offense, and they're potentially getting handed over. They're being basically given to ICE officers to be transported to an ICE facility or to be deported. So it was really heartbreaking. And when I worked for this attorney, that's what made me want to be an immigration lawyer. That being said, I also worked on criminal cases. I would go off into criminal court as a law student to drop off filings and to meet some of the judges. And there was a particular judge that I met and I knew he had taken many cases from my community. And he's a judge that has since passed away, but I knew he was a very hard line, very tough sentences. And some of those people, I actually also knew that he had sentenced them to prison, then leading them to be deported for life back to their home country. And so, and the deportation happens in immigration court, but due to that sentence, they were then, you know, put into removal proceedings to be deported. So it was a very personal, um, it was me standing as a testament for all those lives that I knew that I cared for, that I love, and just saying like, we are going to defend folks in your courtroom, sir. And I, and I had a lot of respect for him. He respected me, but I just, I felt like that would be um, something that I wanted to, to um, 
stay. I wanted to say it. I wanted him to see me as a brown woman from that community and know that I was there representing folks that I cared about. And like I said, to me, that's a that's a real boss move. Really, that's just really, uh, really bossy that you did that. And uh, I'm so proud of you just to know that you you've accomplished so much. Uh, before I go into my next question, I. I, as an African-American, identify as an African-American. Um, there's an app called Clubhouse, and I went into a room to where different cultures, uh, Hispanic and Latino cultures, were arguing about identity. And I, I myself, who has dated uh, someone, a Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican before, and made the mistake of calling her Mexican, because of my ignorance, because I'm from Louisiana, and we don't have many... Uh, Latino culture in Louisiana. So it's always black and white. So if ignorantly not knowing, what is the proper term to call the Latino community, Hispanic, Latino, Latino, Latinx, like what is the appropriate way so we won't be insensitive when identifying somebody of the brown community? Yeah, so so definitely I think that's a question as to the person that you're talking to, the person you're addressing, how they wish to be identified. Personally, I uh, am Oaxacan Mexican. So all my family's from Oaxaca, Mexico, and that, that has more indigenous roots. And my mom's side is from Guatemala. So I always have really, I, I approach people with saying I'm Oaxacan and I am Guatemalan instead of saying, you know, sometimes I say Mexican, but because there's so much tied to a person's identity and relation to their, their background. And so a lot of people say, well, why don't you say you're Mexican? Or, and I say, well, I say I'm Oaxacan because in the Mexican community, there's a lot of stigma against Oaxacans. And there's a lot of discrimination against Oaxacans because we have more indigenous roots and because, you know, they say that folks from Oaxaca are, you know, short and dark or, you know, they make derogatory terms. So for me, it's always, based off of what the person wants to be identified as. If the person wants to be identified as Latinx, then sure, go ahead. If the person wants to be identified as Chicano, Chicana, Mexican, then I, I think that's the, the more appropriate way to address with whoever you're you know, having a conversation with or engaging with is how would they want to be identified as. And um, like I said, I, the labels, I mean, the labels is just something that, um, people can go hours and hours arguing about. And, you know, I just, the labels are hurtful. Um, some of these labels are hurtful because it erases some people's history as well. And so it, I just really, it would be more of a personal thing of, of what that person would like to be identified as. And um, there's definitely a lot of conversation for Afro-Latinos, Afro-Latino culture and, and, and um, Afro-Latino folks that identify as Afro-Latino, because um, there's definitely been a lot that happens in our Latino community, Hispanic community, whatever people want to label it, that has tried to erase people's identities. And so going forward, just saying like, like Latino community as a, as a whole, as identifying the community, that's not offensive to you know anybody, right? Just making sure I don't want to. Sometimes it is. That's what I'm saying is that that sometimes it's more it's more of a personal, you know, uh, personal identity issue that or identity that the person would like to be um, identified as. And I think that's more of something that you could approach them with. Like, I don't want to be, you know, rude or offensive. How would you like 
you know, to be identified as. All right. So I asked that question because I want to talk about before we go into immigration. Um, I want to talk about just law in itself when it comes to Latino Hispanic community. Like, what's something? What's the difference between what you see compared to like? Because in in America, we can't we can't we gotta face it. It's black and white always. Like when it comes to law uh, and you defending Latino 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 and Hispanic communities. What's the big difference that you've seen so far in your in your years in law? The way that the court treats them, treats folks, or the way that, yeah, the mm. way that the court. I mean, I, I think that um, I've always made an effort to build bridges with the African-American Black community because we face the same struggles um, in some respect, but I also don't want to erase that a person of African-American or Black, um, I, you know, a person of African-American or Black race is going to be discriminated more because of their skin color. And, and so I, I don't wanna sound like I'm trying to erase that, but I, I do like to build bridges and that we can see that in the numbers of people in prison and especially in California. I mean, there's staggering numbers of Latino, Brown, Black, African-American folks. And so it's just really disheartening that um, we have yet to work on building those bridges. We still have yet to solidify that we are facing the same system of oppression, the same system that unfairly prosecutes, the same system that tracks youth. Um, I saw that growing up. I saw in my community how Latino and African-American Black kids from middle school were the highest suspension and expulsion rates in my school. And when I got to high school, we worked a lot on campaigns to try to address that with this, you know, the school district because there's this whole tracking the school to prison pipeline. And that is something that is both of our communities face, um, working class communities face. And I, I think that that's um, something that I, I see in the way that I handle criminal cases, um, I see that there's a lot of racism. Um, there's a lot of uh, harsher sentences. And I think that we have a very similar uh, system of, you know, we have the same system of oppression. So we should really work together as a community to fight this system. And we're starting to see that. We're starting to see the um, call to action, you know, to dismantle some of these systems or some of these laws that are harsh or, you know, some of the police systems that, um, you know, unfairly like uh, brutalize our communities. We, you know, here in Los Angeles, there's hundreds and hundreds of lives lost due to police killings and their Latino lives. And so I, I you know, this is something that we, um, should work really on getting more unity in our community. Yeah. And I, I couldn't agree with you even more with that. Uh, we're going to have more with attorney Cynthia Santiago, uh, wonderful attorney out there in California. She has doing a lot of great work. It's an episode you don't want to miss, so stay tuned. Summer is approaching. That season where most friends and family travel, have family reunions, and enjoy that family vacation you've had over a year to plan. If you haven't had your vaccinations yet, there's still time. You might think you're fine now, but the reality is you're not. 
there's still contagious variants out there and some states and cities are still behind on getting vaccinated. Don't ruin your family vacation by worrying about traveling in a hot spot. And don't be the one to cause a loved one at your family reunion to get sick. If you're still deciding on whether or not to take the vaccine, do some real research. And most of all, do what's best for you and your family. Take the politics out of it. And like everything on our show, think about it with an open mind. Straight up means to be able to speak in a way that is straight up, to be honest and to speak your truth. Raw, uncut, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's blunt, you know, straight to the point, this is what it is. It's just a place to be open and honest and that's what I appreciate most about it. And it provides a place for community members to come together and just be straight up with each other about things that are going on in the world because it affects all of us. Uh, unfiltered, raw, with all the cursing that Calvin does. Straight up is just being real, telling it, telling it like it is, you know, um, being you. Being solid, being who you are, no matter what it is, no matter what situation you're faced with, right? This is who you are. It really, it really speaks to me saying it is what it is and it ain't what it is, straight up. All right, welcome back to the Straight Up Show podcast. I am joined today with attorney Cynthia Santiago, attorney out in California. Uh, as you heard, she is doing some great and wonderful things, especially uh, with the brown and Latino community, more uh, so Latino community. But she's she's taking her personal uh, struggles that she's been with and she's seen growing up, and she's making a difference by going into law and handling business the right way. And I say boss moves because if you follow her on social media, she's really making a big impact. So once again, Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. So, and a lot of y'all don't know this. I try to keep my personal life out of the media or whatever you want to call it, but I used to work uh, at USCIS. Uh, if you don't know what that means, it's the United States, make sure I got this right, memorize it, the United States Citizenships and Immigration Services. And so uh, that used to be something that I used to do for a living temporarily before I had the uh, infamous accident that you all know about. Um, I, I can say, honestly, Cynthia, working in that, uh, that, that, that system for the government, it, it really hit home because I didn't, and I'm ignorant to a lot of stuff. And we all are. And it's, that's just me being real with anybody. And I think one of the most tra trauma, uh, traumatizing uh, cases I heard is when uh, the previous administration uh, had a ban on uh, people coming to America. Uh, and there was a call I took from a gentleman whose father waited five years just to come back over to America. And when he heard that, he was like maybe a week or so away from coming to America. And he heard about the ban. His father got very anxious and had a heart attack and died. And he was waiting five years just to come over here. And he heard that news and was so scared that he had a heart attack and died. And so, like, that is just one story out of millions uh, that are going on right now. And, you know, can you talk about just your role in this immigration process and tell us what it is and what you do uh, to help out? And I... I, you took me back to when that happened, that happened, the airports in LA were just a call out for all attorneys to show up. And I was there frantic, like helping folks. I, I don't speak 
you know, more than Spanish, but I was like attorney here to help and just trying to do my part um, because it was very heartbreaking to see people waiting for their family members who weren't coming out of the airport, you know, through ICE because of the ban. Um, so pretty much my work as an attorney just really extends, thankfully, because I was able to open up my own practice. So I have been at the border. I've been at, you know, when the caravan came through the border, I was doing on the streets in Tijuana doing impromptu know your rights. So this is what asylum is. This is, you know, the five categories of asylum and just talking to people about the process and what it was like to, you know, um, to go through immigration and what it's going to be like to, you know, people with little kids and potentially preparing them to, well, if you are separated from your kids, this is what you should do, right? And so I, I do that kind of work or I work here within the U.S. on processes like if a person um, has an impending deportation and I find a way to get them to remain in the U.S., I find a motion I can file or something that their previous attorney didn't ever look at, then I file that emergency stay and stop their deportation from happening. And then I work on the really, really sympathetic, the, the, the cases that are like very heartwarming and, and that you see action. It's like DACA, you know, the, the youth that were able to get um, some type of relief because they've been here since they were young children. Um, they're undocumented, but now they have work permits and they're able to remain in the U.S. And I work on getting green cards and citizenship. So my work really, thankfully, because I have my own office, spans from one to the next direction. I worked on a lot of detention cases. I go to the immigration detention centers and I work on trying to get the client bailed out a bond granted so they can get back to their family. Oh, so once again, she's doing a lot. I can only imagine how much is on your plate right now. Um, I, I'm, I'm just so thankful that um, I think it gives me a it gives me like a, a fire when I'm actually being able to do those things and I can um, get folks out and I see the reunion happen and things like that. Like that gives me fire because there's a lot of heartbreaking situations too when I do a consult and I just can't help the person and I it just hurts me, but I I have to balance out, you know, the, the positive situations and scenarios we're in. Yeah, that I, I couldn't, I've seen that in person, my sister working with uh, foreign exchange students, especially one in particular uh, from Honduras. And that, you see that in person, uh, it hurt me to say that somebody's just, they don't know where they're going. And uh, this person had an opportunity. She was born in America. She was born in Honduras, but she came here when she was like maybe two months. And America's only been the only thing she knows but her mom got deported so they were threatening to deport her and she's never been to guatemala uh, honduras mm -hmm. and, it, and it's just it was like what do they do then like what can they do in situations like that yeah yeah i um i definitely try my best on situations most of the cases that i take i really like if i don't see a resolution to a case i'd rather just say don't spend your money on this case yet or just wait till you know till we get a change so it, I think that's the the hard hard part about this work is that people think that you have 
all the solutions for their case. And I can't change the law and I can't change the facts of a case. And so um, I think that it's hard for people to understand that the laws for immigration haven't had a major change since 1996. That's the last time we saw a big change in the laws through Congress. Um, and they actually got harder and they got more, um, there was more consequences, more penalties for people that come, came in and out of the country or you know, left because they wanted to go see their sick family member or their parent had passed away and then they came back. At that point, they're banned for 10 years. So it's just really heartbreaking um, that I can't do much when the laws have not changed since then. Right. And speaking of the laws, especially we this issue with uh, quote unquote kids in cages, which we've seen. Uh, I think that and I'm pretty sure if you've been you've been to the border before, you've seen things that has not been replicated in the media uh, is we only get a glimpse of it. Uh, and I can only imagine what you've seen. But this thing with kids in cages uh, is becoming because I know that a lot has gone come here to Dallas. Uh with the kids in cages, I really, it really bugs me because I'm single with no kids. You know, I've helped my sister raise her kids. And like I said, I am of a Afro-Latina relative. Uh, and I can only imagine what her family goes through. Uh, but I, I, the thing with kids in cages, w- what do you feel about that? And what can the well, all three administrations that, that I've seen this go through what do you think can be done and what's not being done uh, for these children in quote unquote in cages? Yeah, so I definitely, I started in 2012. So I've seen three administrations so far. Um, and I think that for right now, the, the issue we're seeing right now is that there's still something called Title 42. And Title 42 is a policy under the, you know, the, code of um, health and safety, and they're using the pandemic to deny asylum seekers entry in the US. So if you're an adult and you're asking for asylum, then you cannot enter the US because of the Title 42. So they're basically deporting or expelling people that present themselves at the border for Title 42, um, or because of Title 42. If, if the person wants to seek asylum, they, they're you know sent back if they're an adult. But if they're a child, because there's a court order, they cannot send a child back. They have to admit the child and they have to process them through the system. And that's something that we've seen numerous administrations have this um, scenario play out where um, if it's not, they're separating the kids at this point, that policy is separating the kids. So, you know, they could do it through the the border patrol agents are separating the kids or because of the policy, the kids are being separated. So it's, it has not um, changed significantly. I think that there's no surge in my opinion. I don't see there's a surge. I just think that there's more media attention to it. And I think that um, this has been a problem that has existed for years and there has not been um, enough care or enough uh, people in the table deciding what to do with the kids and how to best process them so that they're not in a detention center for four to six weeks, that they're reunited with their parents, that they're not being taken care of by ICE officers or CBP officers, but that they're being taken care of by maybe um, social workers. 
Um, I think that those plans and processes needed to be hashed out and that they need to have the right people at that table deciding what to do with the kids. Um, in particular here in, in Los Angeles County, um, I think what's heartbreaking is that the process to get the nonprofits and the services that the kids need uh, has been very delayed and it's been hard to get through into centers for some organizations that do really good work. And I think that there's um, like, there's a lot of children that come from communities that are indigenous to Mexico or to Guatemala and they need interpreters, for example. And if they're not having an interpreter, that's the problem they saw in the last, um, the last separation of kids is that the, the families were not, did not understand the rights they were giving up and the children needed interpreters. And it just, it's a, it's a very lack of uh, services and the proper services because those people are not at the table making decisions and are not at the table, you know, helping them plan these processes out. I think that's my opinion of it, yeah. Uh, and I really feel like, um... Are you saying something? I'm sorry. No, I I, oh, I have oh, another. Okay. Yeah, yeah. What were you gonna say? There and to be, you know, we're gonna be straight up, right? So there's a lot of money and contracts involved in this stuff, and so I I think one of the recent reports from one of the orgs that I follow was that it's about seven hundred seventy five dollars or something like that, or seven hundred fifty dollars a day to house a child in these detention centers. So we also have to look at what is, you know, behind the scenes. Is there a financial incentive to have children detained? Wow, and that's and it, it, it's like almost forgetting about humanity. You know what I mean, like human rights and things like that. And my friend, uh, she is now said that she's now uh, she's a citizen now uh, from Mexico, and she was like, I don't. She has three kids of her own, and we were just like, what can we do? You know, because we're in our thirties now, and like, you know, we're financially stable, like. Uh, is there not like a fostering program that maybe that some citizens can do to help out? And because nobody wants to see this on TV that, hey, this is this is happening in America, that these kids are at detention centers and uh, housed so close together. And it's kind of like, you know, all the way back to me in Japanese concentra concentration camps. And, and it's, it's horrible to see and this is happening in our own backyard. And yeah. it's not just a American right. It's a human right, you know. Yeah, I mean, I it's great that people are also want to step up and like help uh, foster them in the meantime. But I think that we have to go back to why aren't there with why aren't these kids with their parents? And if they got to the border with their parents and they should be able to cross into the U.S. if they're seeking asylum and they, you know, then they're with their parents. Um, or if their parents are in the U.S., then how can we get them reunited to their parents sooner than later? Because I, it is very traumatic. There's a lot of psychological damage that's created in children that are unknown. They don't know if they're going to see their parents again. Wow, that's uh, a lot. Because I know that I'm a giving person. I just want to give back somehow. If I have to help the parent out, uh, like my sister and I, like I said, she's all about uh, foreigners and helping foreign exchange students with education. But you mean, if I can help the parent too, I definitely would. I think that all of y'all who are listening, try to see how you can do your part and, you know, if you say it's one thing to say you want you hate seeing kids in cages, but it's another thing just to just post it and make it a hashtag and actually doing about it because you can post it on social media. But what are you really doing behind the scenes? And, you know, 
this is a platform and uh, Cynthia is here to tell her what she does, but what can you do? What can I do? Uh, you now know what you can do, okay? Uh, we're gonna have more with Cynthia, Santiago, attorney at law uh, on the other side of the break. Stay tuned. Hey, Calvin here, host of the Straight Up Show podcast. And guess what? We're back bigger and better than ever with new guests, new straight up topics, and a new way to support the Straight Up Show podcast. That's right. You can now support our podcast by becoming a Patreon patron. Straight Up has four different tiers that you can choose from, with each tier having their own perks. Your monthly donation helps us produce efficient Straight Up content that you love so much. For more details, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Straight Up Show Podcast 318. That's patreon.com forward slash Straight Up Show Podcast 318. Tired of the same old boring clothes? Want to support your favorite podcast but don't know how? Well, you're in luck. The Straight Up Show Podcast Store is finally here. In our Teespring shop, you can find all the merch that tells the world you're keeping it straight up. From t-shirts to masks to even leggings, our store has you covered. Just visit straightupshowpodcast.com and click that merchandise button. That's S-T-R, the number 8, upshowpodcast.com. All right, so welcome back to the Straight Up Show podcast. We are here getting some information about immigration uh, with attorney uh, Cynthia Santiago. Uh, thank you so much once again for coming on our show today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. And, for- like I you do a lot. And, you know, you're not just housed in California. You travel and you travel a lot to give uh to let people know their rights and what they can do in regards uh, to immigration. Can you tell us about your caravan and what you do with that? Yeah, so because immigration law is in a federal system, immigration, uh, I can cover immigration law in all states. And, and essentially when I started in 2012, one of my first cases was trying to get a young woman out of a detention center in Louisiana. And I got her out, I got her paroled, and then I took her because she is from an indigenous um, background and she didn't speak Spanish fully. So, so she doesn't speak Spanish. So that basically I was able to take her after we got her bond and or released without bond and then drive her up to be reunited with her family in Rhode Island. I didn't want to stick her on a plane or on a bus and, you know, her get lost and all this stuff. So, so we worked with the family and, you know, they covered the expenses for transportation and all that. And, you know, the incidentals, but we, we drove her all the way to Rhode Island to be reunited with her family. So I've always had a heart in working in different States. I've always gone to um, detention centers that sometimes are out of state that are immigration detention centers. So my husband and I, in 2019, we bought a sprinter van because I do a lot of events in communities. I go to different communities, um, and I do consultations and we did some consultations in 2019 in our van um, for a lot of folks. And our goal was to get on the road and just in 2020 and travel across the US doing consultations, forming our community, giving people good, honest advice, not trying to you know, have folks be um, defrauded, have folks be like promised something you know, that other attorneys do. And I wanted people to be informed of what they qualify for so that they don't fall for these scams 
because there's a lot of people that do scams to this community. They see the community is vulnerable. They see the community is very hopeful that there's a change. And, and that's really, I mean, my, my work is to try to empower our folks so that we can, you know, stand up for our rights. And so we couldn't travel because of the pandemic and COVID and the restrictions. But uh, starting on June 12th, our first stop is going to be Phoenix. And then we're going to stop in El Paso, and then we're going to Dallas, and then Dallas, Texas, and then we're going to be in New Orleans, Louisiana. And then, you know, we'll see how that goes. And if we can go ahead and go across the U.S., we'll continue our tour, um, you know, later this year or another time. But yeah, we're really excited. And now this is just come up and just talk to you, right? I'm sorry. Yes. All this has just come up and talk to you or any pre-planning at all or. Yeah. So we um, are working with local uh, nonprofits or local community members um, that will basically we'll have like a, a location. So we'll publish it on my Instagram page. We'll have a location, a time when we'll I'll be there. And then, yes, we'll, we're just doing walk ups like I already do this at community events and at um, festivals. So I we just thought what what better way to, you know, keep doing it across the U.S. And if people want to reach you and like, you know, follow you on Instagram and all your social media, how can people reach out to uh, you and ask questions or ask your office questions and just get started? Yeah. So generally, uh, just follow me, Abogada Santiago, Abogada Santiago. If people have questions, we always just ask them to call the office. Um, my pages always have like my contact info and you call my office at 323-696-0595. And um, folks call in and then my staff will schedule them for a consultation. And then I, you know, we figure out a good time and I spend anywhere between 20 minutes to 30 minutes talking to folks directly. Um, I think that it's always going to be a benefit to talk to the attorney about your case and not, you know, talk to some paralegal or an intake staff or a person that's just that isn't legally trained with experience. And that's, you know, one thing that I always have emphasized that they talk to me about their case so I can explain where they're at. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's a, a lot to hit. So, and of course, we're going to have a lot of, of her information listed below and in the description of this episode. Before you go, just uh, for those who are, you know, that really want to get their hands involved, uh, with some words of encouragement, something that they can do to help out uh, attorneys like yourself or something that if they're not a lawyer or they're not in a legal system, like what's something that the average American or anybody that wants to help out, what can they do to help out the, these communities, especially with the Latino community? Yeah, so there's, I mean, I can plug, can I plug a couple of orgs that I really follow? Yeah, so there's um, a couple of orgs like Mi Cielo, and I'm also like constantly posting about them and um they do indigenous indigenous language interpretation, and they're always uh, even if you maybe can't uh, speak an indigenous language, they're always looking for support because during the pandemic, they were giving families um, financial support, and so uh, or even for the interpreters, they they volunteered in the detention centers where the kids are at, and so they they're always in need of um, financial support in that way. Uh, other ways is um, organizations like. Border Angels, uh, Al Otro Lado, or Raices, 
they're mostly working at the border and they do anything from like having a shelter for families or doing legal representation for these families. And they're always in need of, of staff to help even with admin stuff or not staff, I'm sorry, like volunteers to help with admin stuff or volunteers to help with um, doing intake. So if you speak Spanish, even better. If not, there's always somewhere to help like on the ground. Um, and then I have personally gone to a detention center in Texas uh, called Dilly, Texas, the CARA project, C-A-R-A. And um, we've worked with the moms and the kids when they were detained there. Uh, you don't have to know Spanish, but you can do, you know, intakes and help out because we have interpreters that we call or that they, they would call. I mean, I speak Spanish, but they would call the interpreters and have them do the intakes. So, okay. Well, there you have it, you know, so there's no excuse, you know, this isn't just a one race thing. This is a community and we all want to be great in America. And it, it doesn't just take one person, you know, like the, the wonderful attorney, Cynthia Santiago, but it takes all of us because we all want to be great. And it's not just a hashtag anymore. Uh, this is real life. This is people's real life. And these are children that then families that need our help. So uh, if you want to help, Make sure you, we have all her information listed. Once again, uh, Attorney Cynthia Santiago, thank you so much uh, for coming on our podcast today. Thank you. And another way to help, so you can write to your Congress members about the three bills that are in Congress right now, the DREAM Act, the SECURE Act, and the Farm Workers Act. Try to get uh, about 4 million people legalized that have uh, either DACA, TPS, or farm workers. So that's another great way to help and show your support is get Congress people to vote for this. There you go. And y'all know how I feel about voting. So make sure you get out and vote. If you have any questions, make sure you contact Cynthia Santiago. We have all our social media platforms posted on this page. Once again, thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you.